Well, today we are beginning a new series, a new sermon series entitled The Drama Behind the Cross, where we are going to be looking at five of the supporting cast surrounding the drama of the crucifixion. We've entered this season now, what we call the Passion Season, where we're going to remember and recount the days that led up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be looking chronologically at some of the people that God ordained to play pivotal roles throughout the story of redemption. And throughout this series, we're going to look at the roles of Judas next week, the betrayer. We're going to be looking at Barabbas, who was the murderer released and pardoned by the people of Jerusalem instead of Jesus. We're going to look at the thief on the cross who'd become known as the criminal who confessed faith as he hung on the cross next to Jesus. And we're going to look at Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who assumed the responsibility of the burial of Jesus. But today, we're going to be looking at a woman named Mary. Now, there's lots of Marys throughout Scripture. It's a very common name. But today, the Mary that we are going to look at is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Not Mary, Jesus' mother, not Mary of Magdalene, but the sister of Lazarus and Martha. She's often referred to as Mary of Bethany. And there are three occasions throughout Scripture uh, where we see Mary of Bethany. And the first time is found in the Gospel of Luke, a very familiar story, chapter 10, where Mary's sister Martha is entertaining Jesus and his disciples, and she's busy, and she's cooking and cleaning, and she sees her sister Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she becomes flustered and frustrated and, and, and a little upset that she's doing all the hosting and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says, but Martha was distracted with all of her serving and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so this is the Mary we're going to be studying today. Jesus commends Mary because her priority is to be found at the feet of her Savior. And the next time we see this Mary is found in John 11, in another very famous story where her brother has died. Her brother is Lazarus. It's a friend of Jesus. And he has just passed away and we find it in John. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, once again, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not, have not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come see. And of course, the shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. And so for Mary, for the second time, we see Mary fall at the feet of Jesus, two for two. We know that Jesus then would call into Lazarus' tomb, come forth, Lazarus. And Lazarus would be resurrected. And shortly after this miracle is where we find our narrative this morning. This narrative which we find Mary in this morning can be found in three of the four Gospels. Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, and John 12. And today we're going to be reading from both the Gospel of Mark and John's account. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to be reading from verse 3. 
Mark 14, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. And while he was at Bethany, Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at a table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. That's Jesus. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And in John chapter 12, beginning verse 1, to the right, slide to the right. Hear the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with their hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having ch charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. This passage this morning takes place towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was a mere week away from being crucified. So we're hitting the drama, the, the climax of the drama uh, of the cross. And the Gospel of John spends the first 11 chapters talking about the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry, and then spends the next 10 chapters talking about one week. So there's a lot of drama um, happening in the life of Jesus and those surrounding him. And Jesus is in Bethany, which is a small town that's outside the gates of Jerusalem where he is heading to accomplish salvation on a cross. Now, the roads to and surrounding Jerusalem were packed. We were entering in that back then to the, uh, the Passion Week, um, which we know now, but we were entering into the season of, uh, of Passover. And so there's festivals going on throughout Jerusalem, and so the cities would swell in population. It would triple, quadruple the amount of people would go there so that they can go and partake in all the ceremonial things that, uh, that Passover um, required. So it was the Jewish feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And this was a celebration of the first Passover, which was 1,400 years prior, where the angel of death came and killed all the firstborn except for those who were instructed by the Lord to slay a lamb and paint the doorpost with its blood and then the angel of death would pass over, sparing those families. So this was the holiest of holidays in the Jewish 
nation, and so Jerusalem would be at maximum capacity. And Bethany was only two, three miles away, and so this is where Jesus would stay. Now, uh, this particular night, they were staying at uh, Simon the leper's house, a very, one of those very unfortunate nicknames, Simon the leper, um, for he had leprosy, but since he was hosting the dinner party, we can assume that Simon was one of the lepers whom Jesus had healed. I don't think uh, if he was con- currently uh, infected with his leprosy that he'd be having all these people over. Uh, we believe that he was healed by Jesus. And so we believe him to be Simon, the former leper, as we believe uh, that he had been healed. So at this dinner party, um, the attendees are Jesus, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, the siblings, those three siblings, the disciples, and maybe some close family and friends. And we see in our scripture, it was just six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. I love how casual that is. It's like, so it's the Passover, and we're all having a party, you know, because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's like, wait, wait, what? Yes, Jesus had just raised a man from the dead, a man who was dead and in a tomb. And they are celebrating this miracle. Martha and Mary are so happy to have their brother who was dead and now is alive. So they're throwing a party for Jesus. As found in Luke 10, we find Martha, once again, she's serving and the others are lounging, speaking of Jesus' death-defying miracle. And then something out of the ordinary happens. In verse 3 of both of the passages that we read this morning, we see a woman who we know from John's gospel account came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very costly. She broke it, broke the flask, and poured it over Jesus' head. Mary, therefore, took this pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So we see from both passages here that Mary took an alabaster flask or a jar or a vase, something that would look something like this. And alabaster was a stone that's similar to white marble that would be um, found and commonly used to um, hold fragrant stuff, stuff that you don't want to go stale. It was, they would seal it tight. And so Mary had something like this filled um, with this ointment called nard. Now, what was in this flask was one, one Roman pound of pure nard. So that's about 12 ounces. It's very similar to this. And nard, or spike nard, um, was an ointment or oil that's made from this plant, a spiky plant that's found in India, and it was extremely valuable. It was rare and valuable. And so it was used very sparingly, you know, once you would seal, on very special and momentous occasions. We see that Mary's was sealed, had never been used before. And so I want you to think of this fragrance that was used for, um, to smell good or even used for medicinal purposes as a modern-day, very expensive essential oil. Right? That's become something that our culture um, has embraced, uh, essential oils. And so Mary breaks this flask and dumps the entirety of this very expensive ointment all over Jesus. Now, pouring essential oils all over, all over somebody's weird, but it's not like that crazy. But it was the value of it that shocked everybody there. They said it would be worth 300 denarii. 
Now, a denarii is most commonly associated with a full day's pay, a full day of wage. And they said it would be approximately 300 denarii worth of this stuff. So that would be about $20,000, $25,000 worth of essential oil. This was no small thing. And so I had this thought, and, I, and I'm looking up, does any, is there anything like that today? And there is. There is an essential oil that costs about that much. It's called champaka, or champaka, C-H-A-M-P-A-C-A. Now, champaka absolute oil is made from the champaka plant. It's found in the Himalayas, and it costs $2,256 per ounce. So, a bottle like this, you know, filled up to about here, would cost approximately $27,000. See, now we can a little bit understand about what's going on and why the disciples had freaked out. So, if I, so say this was a bottle of champaka. All of you guys would be like, wow, man, did you win the Powerball last night that you can just go and buy a bottle of Shambaka and that's worth $27,000? But it, say I had it, and I took it, and I just <laughs> smashed it and dumped it. That's shocking. You'd all be like, no! We could have used that for our Easter, bag, your Easter basket ministry. Yeah. Right? And so it was shocking, because Mary had broken it, probably more gracefully than I just did, and she had taken it, and she started pouring it over Jesus, and pouring it over him so much, it was on his head, down to his feet, and she got down on her knees, and with her hair, is wiping his feet. It's out of the ordinary, what's happening here. And where do we find Mary once again? At the feet of Jesus. Her heart was bursting being in his presence. She had just witnessed him raise her brother from the dead. She believed that he was the Son of God and he was there with her and she could be next to him. And her heart is just bursting with joy and love. And she just did the only thing that she could do is find her most expensive possession and, and lavish it upon him. It was the only way ex outwardly that she could show what was happening in her heart inwardly. Her heart was bursting. And everybody else in the room is thinking, she's nuts. She's gone mad. Can you believe that? She just broke that? But we see that, th that she's worshiping Jesus. She wants to give him everything. And we've seen this type of outlandish behavior before in Scripture, several places. Specific specifically, I was thinking of 2 Samuel. Uh, here's David. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David... Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Then down to 21, David said to, him, said to her, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but I will worship my Lord. 
my heart is is bursting. You can't see it, so I'm, so I just I have to I have to display this physically. I want to give all I am to him. And so is something clicked in the mind and heart of Mary that day in Simon the leper's house. She had been drawn in by her Savior. Nothing of this world could compare to being in his presence. She didn't care what the rest of the disciples thought of her. She didn't care what the world would think of her. Cultural etiquette was not her concern, and it wasn't going to define how she worshipped her Savior. As Paul says in Galatians, I'm, I'm not seeking the approval of man, or, or, or am I of God? Or, if, or I'm trying to please man, and if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Mary didn't care what others thought of the way that she worshipped her Lord if Jesus was pleased with it. Mary was not concerned with her social reputation, what people thought about her for being a Jesus freak. Mary was not concerned about pleasing a social group or friends or family. She wasn't concerned about losing her stuff. She was concerned with being where she always is, at the feet of Jesus. Mary was concerned with the very question that we all ponder, with what's the point of life? And it clicked in Mary. She had found the point of life. And I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, asks of what, what's the point of life. They say, what's, your, what's the chief end of you? What's the point of you? What's your, what's your purpose? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Mary got it. She said, that's my purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him. And he's in the living room, so that's where I'm going to be. The waves of the world were not going to prevent her from proclaiming her love for her Lord Jesus, who she knew to be the Son of God, who she believed to be the Messiah, who she believed could forgive her of her sin, who raised her brother from the dead. She believed he was God with us, and that is all that mattered. She wanted to enjoy God. Something happened in Mary that actually hadn't yet happened in the famous 12 disciples. She seemed to have understood something that the disciples hadn't yet. Whether or not Mary was fully aware of Jesus' imminent death or not, she knew that every moment with her Savior was worth it, was worth everything. She was always found at the feet of Jesus. And being at the feet of Jesus uh, in Scripture is, is a Hebrew idiom for being taught. Just like we do today. You know? At, you go to Sunday school class. You're sitting on a carpet, you know, uh, crisscross applesauce while a teacher talks. It's students being taught by a teacher. And she was always at the feet of Jesus because she saw God with skin on in front of her and she wanted to be hanging on every word he spoke. She got it. And so this is how we can do the same. We can sit at Jesus' feet today by listening to his words. The word of God. Now being that this expensive oil or ointment was very pure, it's what made it so valuable is that it was not diluted. 
Its fragrance was pungent. It was penetrating and it filled the entire room. This is a beautiful picture of this worship. It was spreading throughout the room. It was contagious. There was no denying its presence. And just a chapter before, the stench of death was in the same group's nostrils. And now they have this beautiful fragrance of nard in an act of worship. But we see the guests are shell-shocked. Especially Judas, who can only see the dollar signs going down the drain. It said that there were some who were saying indignantly, which if you look at the root word is a snort, is like, you know, they were real mad. Why was this ointment wasted like that? What a waste, Judas says. Now we're going to talk about Judas next week. We're going to talk a lot about him, but notice the outcry and disbelief that he has. What a waste. What is she doing? And Judas reveals his priorities. Judas, in a sense, is saying that Jesus isn't worth that. Right? He's not worth it. He's not worth $327,000. He's thinking, I could have taken that later. He's a thief. Now, I know we're all thinking of Judas as this monster. And you're going to hate to hear this, but in this story, more often than not, we're Judas, not Mary. We're. And maybe not, but, but me at least. More often than not, I'm the Judas in this story. Seeing the world as va- more valuable than Jesus. Just to be honest. Ju- Judas values money. He values the thing of this earth. He values his, his career, his reputation of being a disciple. His status. And this being a disciple of Jesus is costing him nothing. He's not giving anything. He's taking. And I want you to look at the comparison between the two. Mary is a woman, which especially back then, has to fight for any sort of recognition to be in a social standing. And then you have Judas, who's not only a man, but a disciple of Jesus. Mary's given all she could to Jesus, and Judas is taking all he can from him. Mary wants to bless the Lord and love her Lord, and Jesus betrays his Lord. You see, Judas wanted what he could get from Jesus. It says in Scripture that he was in charge of the money money box. He was just a little bit on the side. He wanted what he could get from Jesus, and Jesus offered him a lot. Not only the money, but there was some fame happening around Jesus. And so he was one of the disciples standing behind him. You know? So he was enjoying all the things that he could get from Jesus. Mary wanted Jesus. You see the difference? You see, and, and, and again, if you're like me and we find ourselves feeling like Judas, more often than not, we want what we could get from Jesus. The blessings, Lord, please get me out of this. Lord, please help me on this test. Lord, please, please just, just may nobody find out. 
I want to get what you can give me. But how often is just give me more of you? So often we align more with Judas than Mary. We can't see past our selfish, selfishness and pride like Judas. Earthly possessions, status, reputation, financial security. This is what blinds us of the beauty of being in the presence at the feet of Jesus. Mary was willing to give it all to Jesus. Lose her sense of security. Mary wanted to lift up high the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I agree with you. But it's easy to say amen right now. At church. What happens when we're challenged tomorrow? At work. We need to ask ourselves if we prefer to elevate ourselves and our stuff or elevate Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, do you enjoy hearing your own name or the name of Jesus? Because Judas loved the sound of his own name. I often love the sound of my own voice and my own name being applauded instead of applauding Jesus and lifting his name up as Mary was. Mary gave her life savings to worship Jesus. She gave up all of her financial security while Judas was stealing from him, trying to add to his bank account. And if we're honest, we're often closer to Judas than Mary. We might be scared to lose the things of this world, our, our things. We might be scared to lose them at the sake of gaining Christ. We may be scared to give up our stuff at the gain of his riches and mercy, of his grace. Paul got it. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, it's garbage, in order that I could gain Christ and be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, Nothing I could do good myself to get in his good graces. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, I want you to understand that it wasn't the monetary value that made this act of worship so extravagant. It wasn't just because she had this expensive bottle that she poured over Jesus that pleased Jesus. Mary was not the type of woman who just had alabaster jars filled with $30,000 worth of stuff laying around. It was the sacrificial act of worship. It was the love. It was the abandoning of her earthly possessions in order to sit at the feet and anoint Jesus which pleased the Lord. Jesus defends Mary, as he often does. And he gives her the compliment of all compliments. He said, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. You'll always have the poor with, with you wherever you want. You can do good for him. But you will not always have me. 
And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the whole world will know what she has done, will be told in her memory. You see, Jesus makes three comments in regard to Mary's act of worship. First, he says that Mary's done all she could. Mary's done a beautiful thing. She's given all she had to me. And that's beautiful. And the second thing Jesus says is that the... What she has done is not only an extravagant act of love, but it's also a prophetic act of anointing my body in preparation for my burial. And we know that within a week, Jesus would be tried in court, falsely convicted. He'd be nailed to a cross. He'd die. Then his body would be placed in a tomb. So hindsight, this is the only anointing of Jesus' body for burial that Mary has offered him. And finally, Jesus says of Mary's act of sacrificial love is that it'll always be remembered wherever the gospel is shared. Wow. That's a compliment. As evident this morning. Jesus stands up for Mary as she sits at his feet and anoints him with the extravagantly, extravagantly expensive perfume. She washes his feet with her hair. And Jesus is always standing up for Mary. He says, leave her alone. As they try to justify their actions, their response by saying, oh, we could have used that for the poor. We know what Judas wanted. And so they try to justify it. But Jesus responds to them and says, it's not that she's taken away from the poor. She's actually honoring the commandments that if you have been listening to me, you would understand that I've given to you when I said, found in this in Mark 12, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, he answered them well, this Jesus, and asked him, they asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hero Israel, the Lord, your God, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus, by defending Mary, is declaring his divinity. His divinity. He's saying she gets, she's obeying the first commandment, love the Lord with, all, with everything you have. That's what Mary's doing. The poor is the second commandment. Mary's being obedient. She gets it. You don't. Many of us, like Judas, may be crippling our relationship with or potential relationship with Jesus because we're blinded by our sin. Unable to look past the ways and the things of the world. We have become prideful and selfish, vain and greedy. And it is our sin that we are worshiping. And the Word of God tells us what the wages of this sin worship is. It's death. But, if you find yourself closer to Judas than Mary today, as I often do, it's not because you keep sinning that's the problem. 
It's because you are sin. Do you understand? It's not these little sins. It's not your, your selfishness that's keeping you. It's that you were born with sin and everything about you is sin. I mean, you are dead in it. Every speck of DNA within you, when you were born, was ridden and infected with this disease called sin. You are sin in your essence, left on your own. You are a slave to it, as Scripture tells us. So it's not enough to just say, well, if I just stop doing this, then maybe I can get closer to Jesus. No, <laughs> that's not the gospel. If I could just stop behaving like this way, then Jesus will love me and I can sit at his feet. Nope, that's not it. You are a slave to sin. And there's no amount of willpower over that sin that will create enough righteousness outside of yourself. So what we need is an alien righteousness. A righteousness outside of ourselves to be given to us. We need someone outside of ourselves to remove the sin for us. And there's only one who could do both. Remove the sin and give righteousness. And that is Jesus. So how then do we flee from this idea that we can white-knuckle our way back to Jesus' feet? How do we flee from sin? How do we rid ourselves from this bondage of sin? I think Mary knows the secret. She figured it out. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the secret. Mary was always at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teachings. And I know one of my first thoughts when thinking about this is like, well, yeah, it was easy for her. Jesus was right there. It's hard for me. You expect me to have faith. You tell me not to have faith in my money and possessions, but you know what? I can see it. I can feel it. I can spend it. Jesus, I just wish you would talk to me. It'd be so much more, it would be easier for me to obey Jesus if he was here, sitting right here, and I could literally sit at his feet. It would be so easy that way if I could just hear his words out loud. Well, I would argue that we can still do that today. That Jesus has sent his spirit and given us his word so that we may hear the words of Jesus audibly, out loud. That we can literally hear his words spoken to us. And we can just sit here. You can sit right there at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. That's the secret. That's the secret of leaving this world behind and running into the arms of Christ. So let's try that. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus. What I'm about to do is I'm going to read to you words spoken by Jesus from different parts of the Gospels. And like Mary, let's sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to these words. Why don't we close our eyes? Picture sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing him say, 
son, my daughter, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. For God so loved the world that he gave me his only son. And if you believe in me, you'll never perish, but you'll have eternal life. But you have to be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. You are my sheep, so please hear my voice. I know you, so I want you to follow me. I've given you eternal life. You will never perish, and nobody will ever snatch you out of my hands because my Father has given you to me. It is greater than all, and nobody will take you away from the Father's hands. For I and the the Father are one. So son, daughter, I stand here at your door and I'm knocking. And if you hear me right now, open the door because I'm going to come in and I will feast with you. Know that I've said these things to you that in me you could have peace. Because in this world you'll have tribulation. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Sit at my feet. Listen. God, we pray that this act of worship from Mary would resonate right now in our hearts, would resonate in our minds, would cause us to desire to hear your word to, to, to give us a thirst for your word, not just here on Sunday morning, but always. May we always find ourselves at your feet, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit, that upon your ascension, you sent us your spirit, so now we have you with us always. And it's by your spirit, Lord, teach us to hate the sin that blinds us of the beauty in which you are and love the righteousness which you have given us. Rid us, Lord, of any works that we are desiring to please you, Lord, and may it all be about the grace that you have freely given to us that is more than sufficient so that we may enjoy freedom and peace as sons and daughters. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.